Max, that was a great segue. Um, because this weekend, Friday, we had an opportunity, my son and I, to go up and watch my grandson, his son, wrestle at state. And he's 15 years old, so he's a freshman in high school. He took second in state. <clears throat> I'm just proud of that young man. He has an incredible warrior spirit. And, um, you know, wrestling can seem brutal, but I tell you, at the end of the day, it really does form something in you when you have to put the hard work in. It really does. And I'm watching him not just wander through life, but he's staying focused. And I'm so proud of him for that. Just wanted to say that. That's a sidebar note. It's free. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow. You know, I... I just wanted to stop and pause for a minute this morning because some of us have experienced loss in this last weekend. Lisa, Sandra Swanson, she went home to be with Jesus. Yeah, yeah. But guys, here, know this, that our hearts will grieve, but grieving and grief is the price that we pay for loving someone. It's just part of it. But the word of God tells us that when we're absent from this, we are in the presence of God. Amen. So I can take great comfort in knowing that these two amazing sisters are right now dancing with Jesus. Amen? Amen? They're no longer in pain. They're no longer suffering. They are whole. They are complete. Yes. Thank you, Jesus. I have a question. Revival. Why do we need revival? Why do we need revival? To spread the good news? Just throw out some answers, guys. We can do it. Ooh. That is right on. Actually, both answers, because I believe that revival is twofold. It revives those things. Think of a candle that's slowly w waning because the wax is melting and it's just starting to burn down. You know how it's just kind of got that semi-flicker going on? You know it's going to go out at any moment. There are believers all over the world that are in that place right now where their light is dimming, and that light of their soul is dimming along with it. And there are Christians who are like this who are barely alive. They have a heartbeat, but it's very faint. They have fallen from their faith, I wrote. It's like falling into quicksand. They're slowly sinking into the depths of the abyss. How many know that feeling? How many know of others that are possibly in that place? Yeah, yeah. They have grown cold, and these people have grown indifferent. In fact, if anything, they have kind of slipped back into the world. And along comes revival. Turn with me really quick to Psalms 85. Psalms 85, I believe, speaks to those who have become lukewarm Christians. It speaks to those who are feeling like their, their candle is slowly waning. They're kind of burning out. They're frustrated. They're on the side just, ugh. 
They no longer feel that fire of God burning inside them. They have become what we would call just casual Christians. And sometimes it seems as if they only show that spiritual side when it benefits their worldly desires. That's just truth. Psalms 85, verses 1 through 6. Verses 1 through 3, I'm going to start with. You, Lord, uh, showed favor to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people and covered all of their sins. You set aside your wrath and you turned from your fierce anger. So verses one through three really point towards the mercy of God. You, Lord, you, Lord, you showed, you restored, you forgave, you set aside your fierce anger. You're so merciful, God. And then verses four and five and six, I'll run them together. Restore us again. How many have that cry in your heart? Restore us again, God. In terms of revival, again, being twofold. Onefold is God restores us. He brings us back to life. That's what revival's about. But there's an end and a purpose in that. It's not just so that we can feel good. It's not just so that we feel tickled. It's not so that we just get what we want. It doesn't work like that. God revives us so we can rise up and realize that what we have, there's a dying world out there. And even in here, there's people on the edge of that abyss that really need that encounter with God. It's called evangelism. It directly links into the Great Commission. Go, be my witnesses. That's what revival does. God revives us and empowers us so that we can take the message of salvation, that gospel of the kingdom. We can take it all out into the highways and the byways and compel them to come to Jesus. Amen? Amen. Whew, that's it, I'm done, no. What, what we're seeing here is, is restore us again, God, our Savior, and put away your displeasure towards us. Will you be angry with us forever? Of course not. God loves us for, for far too long, and I'll hit this a little bit later. God, we have preached this message that God is mad at the world. He's so mad at you. He's disgusted with you. That's not the truth. God loves you. He loves you so much that he gave his son to hang on a cross so that we could spend eternity with him. That should make your heart leap. Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? God wants nothing more than to revive us again. But not God, I don't believe that God's going to revive things that don't want to be revived. I have... I have I've been in this for years. In fact, there's this new movie out um, that Jesus, is it the Jesus Revolution? Is that the name? Yeah, yeah. That's the, that was, my wife and I were born in the tail end of that. We lived that. We experienced that. We've lived communally. We've lived cooperatively. We've been passionate about going out on the streets for years and just sharing Jesus with others. But I'm telling you, even in that mix, there are people that are just along for the ride. And you just watch the trajectory of their life later in days, and they're out there in the weeds. How bad do you want it? The psalmist here, I wrote, was requesting that God resuscitate his people and bring them back to life. Guys, God is equipped, and we know this, and he's more than capable 
of restoring everything that needs to be restored. And he can shower us with his love and affection, and that's what he wants to do. And he wants to take us from this place of feeling this, where we're just at the edge of giving up, throwing in the towel, and taking our football and going home. And God's going, hold on, hold on. And he brings us back to this place where we should be, and that is in that mode of adoring and worshiping him. That's what you saw this morning. That was pretty unscripted, and it was amazing. That song, that song, I Speak Jesus. Down at the Mari Marilla Crusade we went to not too long ago, they sang that song. And it was at the very beginning of the meeting, and you could walk in there, and I'm getting so far ahead of myself, but that's okay. We feel that you could feel the tangible presence of God. I mean, you could feel it. And they started, they were just singing that song in practice, and you could feel the presence and the power of God moving in the room. You didn't need anyone to point it out to you. You knew that you had stepped into something really holy. This morning, that was a moment just like that. What we saw this morning, just like that. God is moving. He's knocking on your heart. Are you ready for this? Most of us have heard about the Asbury uh, revival. I have a friend who called me. His father actually went to school there eons ago. His father has passed away now, but his father was a pastor. Dan Sparks, he is a vineyard pastor up in uh, Newport, Oregon. He's a precious brother. We communicate a lot on the phone. I love him dearly. And he said, this isn't the first time that Asbury has had revival. He said, there's been moments in history, he said, my dad would talk about it where it'd be maybe two or three days, but something is incredibly different about this time. What we're seeing is this ordinary chapel just being turned into this place where there's this ongoing service of praise and worship and confession of sin and, and, and celebration of salvation. And, and now we watch the news. It's garnered the attention from all over the country, if not the world. And it seems to be the catalyst that's sparking uh, all these stirrings of spiritual intensity in other universities and other people groups from Asia to Africa around the world. Something like 52 universities and colleges are being affected by this very moment and this very movement. The seminary president of Asbury College, he wrote this. His name's Timothy Tennant, and he says, I hesitate to call this revival. Now listen to what he says. This is powerful. He says, he writes, only if we see lasting transformation which shakes the comfortable foundations of the church and truly brings us all to a new and deeper place can we look back and in hindsight say, yes, there was a revival. Yes, this is a revival. Time will tell. That's what he finishes out with. Yet when you watch all this, and most of you have watched the videos, you've seen the footage, you've kind of cruised, looked around at what's going on. Some of you in home groups, I believe, played it. It's powerful. And you watch it. There's no doubt that when you watch this, you're witnessing something unusual. You're witnessing something. It's, it's almost as if this intensification of God's power is being demonstrated in the word and in the worship. We see re renewed, renewed hearts. We see all this stuff going on. What's cool and crazy about this is it's not led by any particular person. 
It's not led by one man or one woman. It's not. It's led by students who are passionate. That's probably the most impacted group in our country today is the young people. Just from everything that's come at them in the last two to three years, they are hurting, they are wounded. The suicide rate among young people is off the charts. They don't even write those numbers down, but it's off the charts. A lot of them have given up hope and they're frustrated, yet somehow in this, there's something being renewed in their hearts and it's lifting them up and it's called the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is falling on these places. There's no upfront leaders I wrote. Like other past revivals, it wasn't about this person or that person. There isn't a lot of hype and all the stuff going on that you typically saw in past revivals. You just simply see peace. You see God's amazing grace being poured out on young and tender hearts. I had the opportunity to meet with a bunch of young people the other day. They invited me just out of the blue and said, will you come and be part of this circle? And these are young people from some of the churches throughout the valley. Uh, Clear over in Medford and other places, and some I'd never even heard of. And, and I just asked them, I said, why am I here? And they just said, we want fathers. And I just went, oh my goodness. I am stepping into some pretty sacred ground. And they talked about the Asbury revival, and they just said, we want to see something happen here. We're not looking to recreate that. We want to see, because we know that God is here as well. And we want to see God manifest in our valley. And we want to see unity. And they're saying, you know, what, what can you bring to the table? I said, nothing. Because you've already got it. Well, what about, I, I said, look, it's your passion, it's your dream, it's on your heart, it's your vision. I love it when people come up to me and say, you know, let's do and let's go and let's be, if that's on your heart, you're probably the one that should respond to that and do something with that instead of passing that off to somebody else, right? And man, they looked at me and I said, you, 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 and you, you've got the stuff. You don't need a, a, some knight in shining armor to come riding in. You've got the Holy Spirit. You're all empowered. You're here because you have a passion and a vision to see something happen. Work together and make it happen. So it's going to be interesting to see what God does in that group. It, it shouldn't surprise us, guys, that, that, uh, to see that a work of God began with college students. Man, the history of this, I've studied till my ears have... My, why would I... My ears. Maybe I was listening to podcasts. <laughs> but, but in 1802 at Yale College, there was a spiritual movement that began with such incredible power that a third of the entire student body fell on their faces before God and, and, and just came to Jesus in that moment. That's a huge number. That is a huge number. And one freshman wrote, the whole college was shaken. It seemed for a time as if the whole mass of students would press into the kingdom. You imagine that? It was the Lord's doing and marvelous in all eyes. Oh, what a blessed change. This is in the 1800s. Isn't that crazy cool? But listen, I want to talk about a few caveats about when awakenings and, and things happen, revivals happen, that we need to be aware of. Fair enough? So we can nav navigate these waters with a little bit of knowledge and understanding of how this 
goes on and how to respond instead of react to what we're seeing, okay? Can I do that? Whenever the Spirit of God gives people a renewed sense of God's presence, it's in that moment that we stand in awe of the presence of God, right? We know, we know as a tribe here that when we step into the presence of God and His presence touches us, everything changes, right? You can feel overwhelmed by His love. You can feel overwhelmed by His compassion for you. And it's in this moment that if we're looking around, we see multiple responses to that moment, right? Matt alluded to this last week. By the way, Matt, off the charts. Thank you, brother. Matt alluded to this a little bit last week. First, when revival, renewal, when all this stuff happens, it gets messy. It gets messy. I'll be honest. I've seen a lot of church movements in my time. I was part of the last part of the Jesus movement, and I can remember how wonky and how uncomfortable it was. I was living in my car. I didn't have a lot of money. I was working. I wanted to go to church because I just fell in love with Jesus, and I had these bibbed overalls on. It's the only thing I had that was clean in a white t-shirt that was really nice and clean. And I went into a mainline denomination in Grants Pass. I won't name it, but I went in there. Actually, I will. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I went in there and I sat down and uh, I'm just like, yes, I'm here. I'm going to worship God and be part of. And uh, someone walks up and they tap me on the shoulder and said, young man, can I talk to you? And it was some guy in a suit, you know, with the little skinny tie and and, and he took me out in the foyer and he said, young man, do you plan on attending church here? I said, yes, sir. I just came for the service. He said, you need to go home and change your clothes. I said, this is all I have. He goes, then you cannot worship here. You cannot be part of this. He said, you go home and don't return until you're properly clad. This is what the Jesus movement people encountered this moment. This moment. There was incredible friction. That's when I started busting out the wrestling moves on this guy. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It's that good right hook, right? I I literally, if it hadn't been for the passion of God burning in my heart, I probably would have walked out of church that day and never gone back to any of them. But I knew better. I knew that there was more. So, when the breath of God comes, I wrote upon a place in a tangible way, there are often unusual responses. Sometimes there's this this intensified period of prayer and praise, or sometimes you see this immediate and accelerated work of God, such as in miracles, signs, and wonders. That's what we saw down at Mari Marilla. That is a revival on wheels, man. I'm telling you, it's rocking the I-5 corridor. And when Mario got up there and he spoke maybe 10 minutes, and he just stops everything and he says, in essence, do you want what you feel? Those are my words, but it was like that. And, And... Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people came forward. And we saw people who were supposedly couldn't walk or were wounded or on death's bed. Is that right, Dan? That got up and were running, running around this tent of, I don't know, 2,500, 3,000 people running. God showed up. God read, the, he, just through Mario, God gave him a download of just words of knowledge and insight into these people's lives. And he was rattling off history, reading their mail, blah, blah, blah. God just moves in so many different ways. People, people in this moment will respond with sincerity to the Lord's 
movings, I wrote, sometimes in unfeigned expressions of devotion that may seem theologically sloppy. Now, I know in this house, we're very gracious to that, but I'm telling you, in some other houses and some other tribes, it would be like, oh, get the nutcase out of here. Get them out. But all of this, in all honesty, springs forth from a pure-hearted love for God. It's genuine. It's sincere. It's authentic. Yes, it can seem really weird sometimes. And I won't make excuses for that. You know when someone's in their flesh, and you know if you're listening to God when someone is truly in the spirit. Amen? Proverbs 4.14. This is where Matt kind of went on some of his uh, notes uh, last week. It says, where there are no oxen, the manger is empty, but from the strength of the ox come abundant harvests. It's a powerful word. I've heard this many times over the years. Often, uh, oxen were really essential for farming in biblical times. They were, it was like their modern-day tractor today. And they used them for plowing. They used them for hauling. And if the farmer didn't have an ox, he, he really couldn't plow his fields. And therefore, he had no harvest or, or a dinky little harvest. There was no plentiful harvest. Love it. Listen to the rhythm of the sound. Oh, I'm far. <clears throat> Where am I at here? Of course, we know that oxen consume a lot of food, right? They do. And I'm telling you, they produce a considerable amount of byproduct. Growing up between my aunt and my stepmom, we had 21 horses. We were horse poor. I mean, we were horse poor. Those horses were a lot of work, a lot of fun to ride, but a lot of work. And I'm telling you, there was a manger and one other part, we had a longer food trough. It was much bigger. We had a barn, and all of those things needed to be cleaned and restocked and freshed and hayed. I was the one that got to do it. So I have very unfond memories. Oh. But I'm telling you, I wrote here, one must put unpleasant menial work to keep the oxen fed. You've got to put it in. You've got to put in your time. You've got to put it in to make it a safe, healthy place for the oxen. You have to take care of the ox. You have to, and it's work, it's hard work, and it's unpleasant, and it smells, and it's stinky, and it's hard. It's kind of like in the church, you work with infants in terms of just the bigger picture. You work with infants when people just come to Jesus, and there's a lot of diaper changing. It gets messy, right? But that's part of it, and then they become teenagers. Oh, that's a whole nother game, whole nother, I, I won't go there, but anyhow. I wrote here the reward. For that work, however, is something that only the strength of the ox can provide. That is a plentiful harvest. So if we want a plentiful harvest, it's going to get messy. Does that mean it gets out of control? No. But it's going to get messy and be open to grabbing a shovel and helping clean up some messes. Help be part of the solution to help things move forward. Trying to feed clean uh, I wrote here, Try to, trying to feed and clean oxen is difficult, but nowhere near so difficult as trying to farm without them. We need the strength of the ox. The second thing I think that happens in revivals that we've seen, I know I certainly have and some of you have, and there are those people we call revival seekers. They're the looky-loos who kind of come in around the corner and go, I'm just checking it out. 
Then they shut the door and either go away or they come in. And not all of them have pure motives. Already at Asbury, there's people going, yeah, I'd like to help. I can come in and, you know, I can bring the thunder. We don't want you. We don't need you. God's already here. He showed up. So you just take your thunder, whatever you got, and move it on down the road. I've seen that happen. We were at a, up in the Dallas at the Dallas Christian Center. With, they brought in this prophet one time, and, and I remember he's prophesying, and, and he just got so far. He was a huckster. He was a fraud in the end. It was bizarre. I don't even know how he got there. He started calling out this one lady and these, all these words of knowledge, and, and it was totally unfounded because we knew who she were. If anything, he missed it by 40 people over to the right somewhere. And the pastor finally had to stop him, literally stopped him and started backing him out the door. And he's like, oh, God is going to visit you. Oh, and he's screaming and yelling at the pastor. Oh, my goodness. And this is what happens. I've seen this where people show up when revival happens, and they're looking to can somehow the power. Can I get the power? Can I somehow can it? And can I take it home for my own cause? We will see that happen. We will. And, and there are those who come and who try to insert themselves in the moment like, I have arrived. I'm here to feed my narcissism. I need all of you to gather around me because I will make you look even better. I've seen that happen. It's heartbreaking. Whenever the power of God is on display, there are some who will try to profit from that power. I mean, just go to the book of Acts and look up Simon the sorcerer. He got his pants lit on fire for that. Well, not literally, but he got rebuked harshly. The third one is, and probably the toughest group to deal with when God begins to move, is the churched people. Those who grew up in church. They're the ones who go, we don't do it that way. It's never been done that way before. What? You didn't have a big song set up here with a stage load of people and all. We don't do it that way here. They're the ones that stand there with their arms folded. They are often more critical and more cynical than the world. Church people. And I think that they are some of the very fastest ones to sneer at the displays of emotions that are seen when God shows up. They are the ones that stand up or sit in the corner or sit down and they're the ones that cross their arms Hmm. and they begin to interrogate what's going on. They begin to analyze the theological precision of what's happening what's being said and what's being sung. They seem to be more worried about being hoodwinked by a fraud than they are being moved and overcome by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we're in a moment you need to uncross your arms. I wasn't picking on you, Greg. <laughs> you kind of woo! Oh my goodness. You have to remember that when the light goes on, especially in the summertime, what's the first thing that arrives at the lights? Bugs. Bugs. So when the light goes on, it does attract bugs. Steve Shaw used to talk about that all the time. I thought that was really good. Here's, Here's probably one of the greatest examples 
of people just crossing their arms and being critical and how it just was awful and it was ugly moment in church history. And this has happened in, 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 I wrote, 1730s to the 1740s, possibly into the 1770s. Does anyone know what that first great movement was called? It was called the Great Awakening. It, it started in Britain, and it spread across Britain and, and came in a, somehow in a boat. God got in a boat, and it went all the way across the ocean to the 13 northern colonies, the American colonies. It showed up, revival. But listen to what happened here. There was conservative and moderate clergymen who looked on this great revival and didn't approve of any of it. Oh, it was a brutal moment. Very, very sad. You had these clergymen who were questioning the emotionalism uh, of the evangelicals, and they charged that the disorder and, and the discord, that all this crazy stuff's going on, they're out of control at those revivals. And this is where that sermon from Jonathan Edwards, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. I mean, these guys were firing it out there. Hardcore. They took great ex ex exception, I think, to some of the itinerant preachers who traveled around, men who like George Whitfield. George Whitfield, or Whitefield, however you want to say it, he preached something like 18,000 plus sermons. You imagine that? That's crazy. This guy preached it. But what was the bummer was he traveled from one community to another, and he's preaching all these harsh, hardcore messages. And if anything, he's often criticizing way too much the local clergy. Well, that upped, that upped the division in the church, didn't it? And then you had these evangelical preachers and their converts who were lamb-blasting the opponents, their own opponents, as cold and uninspiring and lacking in piety and grace. And these battles raged on and on and on. In fact, they came down, who's right, who's wrong, what's going on? Is that church right? And we hear that today. Stay away. Someone may be preaching something and say one thing that ruffles their theological stand and it just throws them on their ear. Now they're saying all kinds of crazy, cruel things towards the one who spoke that. And often, they took it totally out of context of what the person was saying. It's like, stop it. We're supposed to be in this together, aren't we? Now, I know there's different tribes in different parts of the body, but we're either an arm or an eye here, and down the road, they could be a leg, a toe, whatever. It's different parts of the body, but we've got to figure this out. So the first great awakening I wrote left colonials sharply polarized along religious lines. Now here's the list of people, listen to these different um, groups. There was the Anglicans, you had the Quakers, the Baptists, the Methodists, the Congregationalists, the Presbyterian denominations. I mean, the list went on. And they were all divided on lines of where they were standing and looking at the other with arms crossed. What a funky moment in history. And inside some of those groups, you had people who were advocates and opponents of the awakening. And they became known as the new lights or the old lights. I mean, the list went on and on and on. Division. Right away, God moves. Man steps up and criticizes it. And I say, shame on you. If God is moving, you start to criticize it, you need to check your heart. Amen? You know, some of us have met and know people who have been deeply wounded in movements of God. I think a lot of it was because they were manipulated by imposters. I think that's happened. In this community of Grants Pass, I've lived here 40-some years, well, most of my life, but I've been in ministry 
for over, just over 40 years, and I have watched the Pied Pipers come and go. I have watched people come along with this great message, follow me, and people just flock to that moment and realize they got hoodwinked. They get more and more bitter. There is actually a rather large group of people in our community, unfortunately, it's a heartbreaker, who have been so wounded by the church, it's almost as if they have formed their own group called the wounded churchgoers. I don't know, there's what you call them, but they've been hurt. And understandably, rightfully so, they've been hurt. I think we need to repair that. I think when God shows up and we just move in his presence, we'll let Jesus do the talking. You don't need to go back and try to analyze everything that happened in their life. Let God do that. He does a much better job at cleaning up the messes than we ever will. So there's many questions that arise whenever revival or awakening or whatever we want to call it, like the one at Asbury happens. And I just wrote a few of them. People go, is this real? Is this real? Was this morning really real? Or was it just emotionalism? You have to decide that in your heart. But it's a, it's a legit question. How can I know if this is a genuine work of God? That's a great, honest question. I mean, the list goes on and on. What if some of the theology of some of the participants is off? Does that negate everything? Come on. How do I test the spirits in case this is a farce? Isn't God present wherever I am? Yes, he is. What kind of fruit should we expect? I mean, the list, do you hear what I'm saying? The list goes on and on. But here, I'm here to ask you this morning. I think there is a bigger question in all of this. And it's one that I want to ask you this morning. Turn to John chapter 5, verse 6. This may seem like, where is he going? But I'm going to land this somewhere here. John chapter 5, verse 6. Jesus is heading down to the pool of Bethesda, and he sees this paralyzed man, paraplegic guy. He's just laying on a mat, can't move, can't do anything. Walks up to him, and he asks him a question. And I think this is a bigger question for this moment than do you want revival. He says, do you want to be healed? What? Jesus says this to the paralyzed man who some translations say has been there for 38 years in a paralyzed lifestyle. 38 years, that's a long time. And to ask him, do you want to be healed? What a question. But I'm telling you, there's something deeper going on here. The Asbury revival I wrote really isn't about Asbury. It's about you. It's about your heart. It's about your longing. It's about your hunger and your thirst for God. Pull the dipstick out. Where's your hunger and thirst for God at? Is it on that level? So Jesus' question to the paralytic man, it seems really strange on the surface. Seems odd, doesn't it? You're looking at someone who's obviously crippled, obviously can't move, and you say, hey, do you want to be healed? Of course he wants to be healed. Of course he does. But it's interesting the progression here of this conversation that Jesus has with this man. If, if Jesus were to come to you right now and say, hey, do you want revival? I'm sure many of you would say, yes, I want revival. Of course we do, Jesus. 
That's the only thing that's gonna save our country and our nation and, and, and bring our church back on track and, 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 and the list goes on and on. Yet that question of Jesus hangs in the air. Do you want to be healed? Do you really want this? Do you really want revival, guys? Do you really want to be healed? Are you willing to go the distance in this? Forget all the surface stuff that you've heard about revival and about our dependence on the Holy Spirit. A lot of that, a lot of times, is this. It's just lips moving. Forget about that just for a moment. Is it possible, I really thought this through, is it possible to say you want revival, but deep down, you don't want all the discomfort that God's presence might bring you? What, God's going to ask me to get involved in something? Whoa, wait a minute. God's going to ask me to get involved in a a different ministry? God's going to ask me to get involved in something in the church? Oh, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is my moment. This is my time. I come to church just to sit in the pew and and, and just participate in what's going on visually. But uh, uh, you hear what I'm saying? Maybe you have gotten too comfortable. Maybe we should put tax in the chairs. No, I'm just kidding about that. <laughs> Is it possible, I wrote, that the songs that we sing every Sunday, asking for God to show up, and while the songs are being sung, we're still holding grudges of bitterness that you don't want to be delivered from because they become our friends. We've come, become so comfortable with the bitterness that we hold on to that we don't want to let it go. That is weird, it's bizarre, but it's truth. Is it possible that we enjoy the drama and the gossip that happens in church? Is it possible that you cling to your theological tribalism? I only believe one way. This is the way I believe. Or or maybe you're someone who is harboring secret sins. You don't want to be exposed. So I don't want to get too close to the flame because if I do, I will be exposed. Let it be. Do you really want this? Do you really want to be healed? Do you really want the presence of God to invade your your space and your time? Do you really want this? You may be one of those that say, hey, been there, done that. In fact, I got a closet full of 75 t-shirts that say, I was at that conference, I was at that conference, I was at that event, I was at that event. Come check them out. You can see them all. I'll put them all on display. How sad. So, Jesus' question remains, do you want to be healed? The paralytic, it's interesting, he comes up with all sorts of excuses as to why his healing is impossible. The presence of God is standing in his presence, and all of a sudden he comes up with all these excuses why it can't, it won't, it will not happen, right? He says things like, no one helps me. I can't get down to the water. I'm all alone. Everyone abandoned me or everybody's in my way. They're all standing in front of me. They don't give me room to get up there and get in the water. You you see, that's what you read. He had a lot of excuses. And I think we do the same. We're so quick to point the finger at a messed up church. We're so quick to say it's impossible for God to work in that place because they're so messed up. You should point that finger at your own heart and start with you. 
My friend put a spin on this years ago. That, that get that little splinter out of your, your, before you get that splinter out of your brother, I get the beam out of your own. It's kind of like, before you get that out of your brother's, get the log truck out of your own eye. Things like if a revival would happen to here, if a revival was going to happen here, it wouldn't look that way. I got it all figured out. In fact, I have a whiteboard, how it's all mapped up, how mapped out how the Spirit of God is going to move and it's all going to fall and, and, and woo, we're going to do all. Stop it. So the big question remains, do you want this? Yeah. Do you want this? Does your heart leap at the thought of a movement of God that comes in such a way it radically alters the total trajectory of your life? Are you, are you at that point you're saying, God, like John Wimber, you said, I am just changing your pocket. Spin me any way you want. Because God may move on you and send you to Zimbabwe. He may send you to Medford. Oh, he may even send you to Grants Pass. Yeah, he did. So how hungry are you, me, us, for a true movement of God? How thirsty, how hungry are we? Jesus says in Luke 4, 14, or 4, 4, excuse me, he says, Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word out of the mouth of God. There is a God-shaped vacuum in your heart that can only be filled by God himself. There is nothing created on this planet that can ever fill that void in your heart but God, but God. So I wrote here, whatever happens or doesn't happen at Asbury Revival may well be marked by a living thirst for a knowledge of the living God and a deep, irrepressible desire to see him at work and power, doing whatever he and he alone can do in us and through us. Mario Murillo said, there is an old saying, the rising tide lifts all boats. He says, revival is the rising tide. Hear this. It's not important where the awakening begins because it will ultimately raise the tide of power and the effectiveness of all ministries and churches. That means any victory, any victory that we see is our victory. What's happening around the world is raising the tide. You got that? And the tide's coming. I believe we're already seeing and experiencing it. But it's coming. But revival, he wrote, does not just lift all boats. It brings them together in unity. In Luke 5, Peter obeyed Jesus when Jesus said, cast your net over there. They were fishing, couldn't catch nothing. He said, throw your net over there, guys. So Peter was in a boat, and they did that. Here's what happened. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their nets were breaking. Whoa. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and to help them. Did you catch that? So their boat, they're catching the fish. Boat's starting to sink, so they yell at their partner, hey, guys, come on over here and join this. And they did. In fact, they came and filled both boats with so much fish that the boats began to sink. Revival will bring the boats together in unity. And I believe in that moment, we're going to see a massive number of souls coming into the kingdom. Right. 
I think we need to continue to pray for students around the country. Uh, Clyde, what you did this morning, I thought was so prophetic, bro. And, and it's not just for the young men, it's for the young women as well, but you could feel his father's heart reaching out to his sons and sons-in-laws, and you could feel that heartbeat. Powerful, powerful moment. But let's loop back to Jesus' question and finish there. Again, Jesus says, do you want to be healed? Now let's break this down in the Greek really quickly. This is a Greek phrase, do you want to be healed? It's a Greek phrase, yenesta. And, and the Greek phrase, yenesta, is actually not a future tense like, do you want to be healed? It's actually in the Greek, it's kind of an argument. It, it, it's called an aorist middle infinitive. Those are fancy words that basically indicate that something has already been accomplished. Did you catch that? So what is Jesus really saying? Do you want to be healed or are you convinced that you're already made whole? It's interesting when you read the word and study the Greek and all of it behind it, oh, it's powerful. So Jesus is asking the man if he was ready to abandon how he saw himself and now receive the faith that he needed for his healing. Do you hear that? Do you feel that? Repentance. Jesus was asking the man if he was ready to abandon or repent, meaning turn away from his former thinking, how he saw himself. So many of you see yourself not as God sees you. I love it. To, I love walking around going, man, you're a mighty man of valor. You're a virtuous woman of God. It's a faith picture through the lens of God's word that I see a finished product that God sees. God goes, you are a virtuous woman of God. The world may tell you something different, but are you ready to see yourself as he sees you? This is a huge component for your heart being revived. Because if you don't believe what the word says about who you are and whose you are, this will never take you to that place that your heart is crying out for until you begin to repent of how you see yourself. You are mighty and you are victorious. You are strong and you are powerful in his might because that's who you are. Asbury, as I understand it, started with a young man who got up and he began to repent. No one asked him to. No one told him to. He just got up and began to repent and confess his sins, his heart. His, he began to change the way he saw himself. And he said, I am victorious. I am better than what the world says that I am. I am better than what the enemy is speaking, the lies and things. I, in Christ, I can overcome all that. And he stood up and said, here's all my baggage, guys. And he laid open his heart before all. They say that was the catalyst that was when the mic dropped and everything broke loose. So, let's stand. Greg, can I put you on the spot and maybe some other, your worship team? I'd like us to do the I Speak Jesus song again. You got it? It'll be so cool. I'm not trying to manipulate you with music. I'm a big believer that God speaks through the music in powerful ways. That's just my heart. 
I know it's not always the necessary, but I've just seen God work through music, and I love it. So, when they begin to sing this, I speak Jesus, I want you to go down the corridor of your heart, and I want you to ask the Holy Spirit, mm, where's the rooms that I'm keeping locked, and I'm keeping shut, and I'm keeping you out of? I want to repent. Maybe there's things in your life that you're doing that you know you shouldn't be doing, and you need to repent of those things. I think all of us have something on that list. Attitudes, notions, ideas, preconceived things that we got to get this done, guys. Maybe you see yourself different than what the Word of God says about you. Maybe you've been, things have been spoken into your life, and I know this to be true. Things are spoken into your life that you believe that were lies. Like, why can't you be like, you're not, never were smart enough. How come you're not like your brother? Why can't you be like your sister? You grew up with that, almost like a curse was spoken over your life. This is the moment. This is the moment. This is your moment to change the way, to abandon the thinking of how you see yourself. And as you let that go, you're going to step into something incredibly new, and you're going to set yourself up for an amazing revival in your own heart. Amen? Amen. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. I just want to speak the name of Jesus. Thank you, God. Over every heart and every mind. I know there is peace within your presence. I speak Jesus.
every addiction. God is speaking right now over every addiction in this room. Man, I just encourage you to step into his presence and just get delivered. Set free from the addictions that are holding you down. Addictions are all over the charts, and you know what you're struggling with. I suggest you get prayer for that. Amen? Yeah. Wow. Thank you, Jesus. Addictions. Addictions. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Oh 